Thank you, Lord. I'm, I'm just asking Holy Spirit to help me because I, I feel like I've got two, two messages or two trains of thought in my heart. Maybe he'll make them one, let's hope. Um, so we'll, just follow me. I really do just trust Holy Spirit will lead us as we go. Um, but we, we really are, uh, we've been saying this the last couple of weeks, we're in an amazing time as a community and as a church. And um, we had the privilege yesterday of doing some training with creatives here in the church. And uh, it was such a powerful time, just an amazing time of impartation and just beginning to dream and to go beyond uh, the boxes maybe that we have uh, built around ourselves or around our theology or understanding of God. And uh, just how he is inviting us into the more and everything that we do. But what I noticed yesterday was that there is a, an equipping, sending, mobilizing thing <laughs> happening on 24-7 right now in everything that we do. And, uh, and you know, we've, we've spoken for a long time about being an apostolic church. The word apostolic actually means sent. So we just finished a course called Living on the Edge, which was all about living sent in whatever it is that God's called you to do. And whether you're here in Joburg, on the other side of the world, in your school, university, business, whatever it is that you do, stay-at-home mom, you're sent. And you're sent to reveal Jesus, and you're sent to bring and carry His presence everywhere that you go. And so we can feel that on everything that we do. Even when we try and do something else, you feel that on it. God is saying, actually, what I've put inside of you, it's going to change your life. It's going to transform you. It's going to do these amazing things. But you're also called to bring that to the world around you. And I think one of the things we so easily lose sight of as the church is our number one mandate or mission outside of worship is actually to preach the gospel. And what that means is not to hold services with just Christians and preach the gospel to them. That's called equipping, and that's powerful, but that's about 10% of what we do as the church. But preaching the gospel actually has to do with those who don't know him. And we're called to carry that, every single one of us, not just the evangelist, uh, because Jesus is the greatest evangelist that ever lived, and he's inside of you. And so even if you feel like the most introverted person, it's a good thing you died with Jesus, and the fire of the gospel is now inside of you. And uh, it doesn't have to look like everybody else, but it does look like something. And so I, I almost want to encourage us that when we talk about being a people of his presence, we're not just talking about being a people of anointed services. Being a people of His presence doesn't just mean that we get excited about Sunday mornings because when we have a Sunday morning gathering, it's wild and you can feel Jesus is here. That's awesome and we do that and it's going to intensify and there's more and more that the Lord's going to do on a Sunday morning. But like I said, it's about 10% of what we do because the majority of our lives are actually lived outside of a Sunday morning gathering. And we can't live in a survival mentality of getting through the week to get to another Sunday to feel, okay, he's still here, he's still good. No, he's inside of you. And the glory that you feel in this room is actually supposed to be what you feel inside of you every single day. And, and you need to learn to cultivate that relationship and intimacy with him because it will intensify in you. And when it intensifies in you and then you come together with your brothers and sisters, the glory comes. And when the glory comes, it goes way beyond anointing to heal or to set people free, which is amazing. But what happens is the manifestation of the person of God is in the room. And that's when he becomes not just the highest authority, but the only authority in the church. And then everyone bows. And so that's when, in, in line with what my dad was sharing last week, that's when it doesn't really matter what kind of week you've had. You, you're yielded to the glory of the Lord in your life. And what's marked you and defined you and shaped you as, as a person and who you are is His glory and it is His presence. And uh, we, we, we've had this wild commissioning that happened on, uh, it was last Sunday night, eh? This week feels like it's been three weeks. Um, last Sunday night, we had a, a really wild commissioning at the end of the, the course. And there was a whole bunch of people that God spoke to them about nations. God spoke to them about spears, spears, spears of influence, spears. They got spears, very influential spears, spheres of influence. And uh, God began to mark them for different things, abandoned children, uh, you know, even people in the corporate world, their businesses, God t turning those into places of revival. Nations that people had never even heard of or dreamt about in their hearts were dropping into people's spirits. And so God's commissioning, and I, I almost felt after Sunday night, it was like, oh my goodness, he's actually going to do this. You know when you talk about something for a while and then suddenly the fire starts to catch and you start to realize, ooh, this is real. And when he starts to move in people's hearts, it's like, the excitement grows, but there's also a little bit of like holy fear 
because what does this look like? And how do we steward this? And the funniest thing is um, I found that when God begins to, to in, intensify and increase his agenda and his heart in the church, when we give him the space to do that, and we begin to prioritize that and prioritize his voice, his glory begins to, to grow and, and intensify in our hearts. And what it does is it exposes everything that's not him. And so I don't know about you, but I've found that it's been an interesting time where we're experiencing his glory and his presence in a deeper way, but we're also seeing what's not him be exposed, come to the surface so that God can deal with it because we're called to be a bride for his glory. We're called to be a resting place, a dwelling place for him. And so I almost want to say to you today that this amazing work that the Lord's doing, not just in 24-7, but in the church, where we're, we're learning to focus in on the revelation of Jesus, and the person of Jesus is being exalted, and when he's being exalted, his glory is being manifest. That's powerful and beautiful, but you cannot be in that environment and think you're going to be able to stay the same. And so what happens is people get really intimidated because they come here and they enjoy the environment of his glory and his anointing, but they're terrified of what it means for their life. And the funny thing is, what we're going after doesn't uh, make sense for the, the everyday church growth stats that everybody wants to uh, throw around on how to, how to grow a church. We're not really trying to grow a church. We're trying to enthrone Jesus. He said he'd build his church. He'd grow. He's going to get people saved. We're not going to do that. We want to enthrone him. But what that means is what we're going after is his glory, and his glory does transform our lives. And so we've got to learn how to deal with conviction, how to deal with things coming to the surface, how to deal with insecurities that we didn't even know were there that are now coming out, how to deal with things that are maybe our old defaults that are not going to work for where we're going. And what we have to do is be real careful because right from the beginning, we see something amazing. When the glory of the Lord is revealed, you have two choices, pride or humility. It happened with Satan the glory of the Lord. He gets the privilege of being right in the glory of the Lord, right at the, in the throne room. And he had a choice, humility or pride. And he chose pride and he chose wanting to look at his own beauty and be like God. Look what happened. We go to the garden. Two trees are placed in the garden. The glory of the Lord is with Adam and Eve. They are walking and living and breathing in his glory. And they're presented with a choice, pride and humility. It's that simple. Tree of knowledge of, good, uh, knowledge of good and evil. It's an attempt at your own sufficiency, thinking that you can do this on your own. Pride. Tree of life. Humility. Yieldedness. And so as we begin to go into this now, pursuing the presence of the Lord, you will be presented every day with a choice. Pride and humility. Pride will try and justify your insecurities. Humility will yield to His voice for transformation. So... I say this because it's real important. If the Holy Spirit is going to baptize you afresh and take over your life, He doesn't want part of your life. He doesn't want a little bit of your life. He doesn't want just the parts that He likes. He wants all, and it's all or nothing. There isn't a place in the Holy Spirit where He gets a little bit and you get to keep the rest. He doesn't do that. And so it's important to understand that although you have received and he's become one with you, you can choose how much he's actually going to be Lord over. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, yes, a one-time thing, but it's a one-time uh, moment that actually ends up being an eternity of continually being filled. So there's an introduction where you feel the power and presence of God in you and upon you, but then actually if you read Acts, you're continually meant to be filled. And so a lot of people have an experience where they feel the glory of God come in them and upon them, but they never learn how to stay filled. And so what happens is they can tell you about a moment that they experienced His glory a long time ago. But if you look at the fruit and the expression and demonstration of their life, you don't see that moment being lived in their everyday lives. In fact, what you see is somebody who, because they are in frustration of not knowing how to steward this, that now they, that pride has caused them to justify insecurity. And so they operate in manipulation, sometimes even witchcraft, because they know that they desire the presence, but they have no idea how to steward it. They have no idea how to carry His presence. And so what we don't want is to build a language and a, and a vibe and a hype around the idea of his presence, but miss the substance of the person of Jesus. 
what we need to be aware of is that when we sing these songs and talk about this stuff, we are talking about the person of Jesus being in you and on you and around you and in the community and enthroned and seen rightfully for who he actually is, not for how you feel he should be, but who he actually is. A church that's beholding, a church that understands that I have a decision, a conscious decision to make every day to look to him. I'm saying this because if we're going to be an apostolic house that's going to reach the nations, and if we're going to be a, a people of his presence that are choosing to value him, then what that means is not that we have a, a, a pressure or an expectation on leadership to do a good job so that every service blows my mind, but actually that I'm taking personal responsibility for being a resting place and a dwelling place for heaven. That's what it means to be a people of his presence, that I am taking responsibility as a yielded son or daughter of God to say, Lord, make me a resting place, a dwelling place for you. Because what happens is you stop looking to what you understand the church to be for your answers and for help, and you start finding the answer in the head of the church, Jesus, the spirit of Jesus that's inside of you, and you realize that the church isn't the vehicle for your agenda or needs or what you think is right. Actually, the church is the vehicle through which Jesus is going to bring revival to the nations, and he's going to do it through individual lives touched and transformed by his presence. And so our, our heart as leaders in the, in the church and as shepherds in this house is not to be your answer, but to point you to the answer. We're not trying to create Sunday mornings that solve your problems. We're trying to create gatherings that actually provoke you and inspire you to be continually filled, to seek His face, to be a person of His presence, and to carry the glory of God everywhere that you go. When you come here, you're supposed to be equipped and stirred and encouraged to allow the love of God to become an all-consuming fire in your life so that everywhere that you go, people get a taste of that, and it's contagious. And so... There's a couple of things I need to say, and then I'll get into this. I'm just uh, allowing Holy Spirit to lead here. But um, I need to say something about authority. Because when the, when the presence of Jesus intensifies, like I've been saying, and His glory comes, He is the highest authority. And He has actually put into place a governmental structure within the church that's not meant to be controlling. It's meant to be a shepherding movement of fathers and mothers, spiritual fathers and mothers in the house that he is entrusted with his very authority to bring shepherding, leading and guiding to the church. And so when we, when we go after the glory, the first thing that wants to go out the window is an understanding of authority, thinking that actually somehow if it's this free-for-all, amazing Holy Spirit just moving in the... He doesn't work like that. Holy Spirit works very much in authority. And so there's a lot of things that we have called the movement of the Holy Spirit that's actually not Him. It's actually a pseudo-spirituality that we've tried to grab a hold of to justify our need to feel significant. To justify our need to feel seen, to feel recognized, or to feel like, well, I have something to, to do with this. Yes, you do. It's called surrender. It's called yielding. It's called allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you. Because when He fills you, He'll do in you and through you what you never even thought you could do. And so the most fruitful place you could be in is a place of yieldedness, abiding. And once again, it comes back to pride and humility. Because humility will lead you into honor, and honor will set you up for success in the kingdom. And by success, it's probably going to be the lowest place, which is success in the kingdom. The reason why I'm saying this is because sometimes... We don't, pride wants to mask itself, right? It hides itself. So it justifies your insecurity and gives you reasons to, to believe that it's okay to feel the way that you feel or to have an opinion about that thing or to have an agenda or pride does that. It hides itself and then it wants to call itself discernment and it wants to call itself wisdom, but it's not. See, humility will lead us into honor, and honor needs to be the starting place for discernment, for wisdom, for any of these things, because that's how Holy Spirit operates. Honor and humility are the riverbanks in which He flows. 
And so sometimes we, can, we are so intimidated by the intensity of His glory that we begin to turn to old defaults, old things, and then we justify they're actually insecurities. No, there's no longer any anointing on them. So we go back to this and we go back to, well, I, I, I used to love to operate in discernment or in this or whatever. Or I, I feel like that's my gift or my call in God. And so I need to say this or I need to discern this. And I'm always not. Now you're becoming weird and people don't know how to relate to you. And then you say things that are not even helpful or bringing life. And you go like, come on, man, we're a family. We're people of his presence. We're supposed to be a place where the river flows. And, and the reason why this happens is just because we don't understand how to cultivate and steward relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because when we talk about His presence, we're really just talking about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, just so you know. Like His presence isn't the vibe that's kind of near Him when He's around. Sometimes we think like, oh, His presence is here. And that means He's probably somewhere in the vicinity and I can kind of feel the mood that's around Him. It's not that. The presence of Jesus is the Holy Spirit manifest to you, in you, and through you. And so when, we, when we're talking about the presence of the Lord, we really are talking about the Spirit of Jesus in the room. And I, I'm so moved by this because this week I was just praying and um, God's brought the right people at the right time and put them in the right places. And so suddenly the dreams that have been in my heart for so long are now like instantaneously a reality. And so you'll hear more information, but we've got amazing things that the Lord's unraveling and opening for next year, schools and internship programs, all these crazy things. And on the land, God's just accelerating stuff. And it's like, it's amazing and it's wild. But this week, it just became real. And it like, it like hit me and all of a sudden, you realize, oh, we're doing this. And I had a moment where I, I felt that choice of like, Am I going to step back and be insecure and let pride justify why I shouldn't do these things? And no, I'm just discerning timing and this and that and whatever. Or do I yield in humility and say, I can't do this anyway, but I'm staying in the flow of what you're doing. As long as it's your momentum, you'll do it. If it's mine, I know I'm going south. But if I stay in your flow, I know that you'll do this. And so as we begin to, to yield, it's incredible because he begins to show you things and he begins to do things that you didn't know were possible. And um, he began to speak to me and he said, he started to speak to me about the greatest treasure of my life. And the greatest treasure of my life is that I have been entrusted to host and carry His Spirit. That you have been trusted by God to carry His very Spirit inside of you. And then I started to read the Word and I was once again just undone because I realized how quickly we make the Holy Spirit a topic and so we do a series on the Holy Spirit. But the reality is everything in the kingdom happens in Him and through Him. That actually it's through the Holy Spirit that you experience and encounter Jesus and communicate with Jesus. And it's through Jesus that you meet the Father. And so without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't even have any revelation of Abba, our Father. You wouldn't have any understanding of what you've been saved from and into. You wouldn't even know how to communicate with God if you didn't have the Holy Spirit. He's everything. And he's the most beautiful person because he never talks about himself. He always brings us to Jesus. So then sometimes we think, oh, we're a bit scared to actually talk about the Holy Spirit or to talk to him or even to worship and acknowledge him. But the reality is the Father and Jesus have a lot to say about the Holy Spirit because they're one. And so we need to like deal with whatever we have to deal with and understand that everything that we are in the Christian life is in his Spirit. And so I started to, to read, and I was just blown away, especially in the book of Acts, because uh, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, right? And I think that's just so funny, <laughs> because it's the Acts of the Apostles. That's like God's mercy, just going, I love you so much. I'm going to put you guys in there as well, Acts of the Apostles. But everything that I read, the Holy Spirit said to him to do this, then the Spirit took him there, and the Spirit touched this person. The Spirit. It's actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the people of God. And I, I love that. I'm like, how beautiful is the Holy Spirit? That the, the whole book of Acts is Him. And yet He does it through us. And then He calls it the Acts of the Apostles. Because He really loves you. And He loves to partner with you. And He loves for you to be a vessel of His glory and a vessel of His presence. So if you turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 13... 
it says this. I'm reading from the Amplified. It says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given to us His Holy Spirit. So sometimes when we, when we read majority of the scriptures around abiding, you know, how do we know that we're abiding in Jesus, that we love one another, that we follow His commandments? We know all these scriptures, that we obey Him. And then this scripture just says, how do, we, how do we know that we're abiding in Him and He in us? Because He's given to us His Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is, following, obeying the commandments, loving one another, all of this can't happen outside of the Holy Spirit. Because we know that the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to live in the kingdom, it's going to be in the Spirit. So anything to do with abiding is going to be in His Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, right? It's important that we understand that. In 1 Corinthians 2.12, it says, Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the Holy Spirit who is from God, so that we may know and understand the wonderful things freely given us by God. <clears throat> Amen. That's such a good scripture. Come on. <clears throat> now we have received not the spirit of this world. Not the spirit of this world. You haven't received the spirit of this world. But you've received the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is from God, so that we may know and understand the wonderful things freely given us by God. The mysteries of God being made real in your life. I'll just, I'm going to give you just a couple of scriptures through Acts. I'm going to go too quickly for you to turn there, so just trust me. But in Acts chapter 8, 29, it's amazing with Philip. It's like he, the, it, it writes in, in uh, chapter 8, 29, that Holy Spirit said to Philip, take this road, go down to this place, and then you see there's the, the eunuch. And then he has this encounter. Holy Spirit told him to take this road and go down there. Then suddenly a couple verses later, eight, uh, 10 verses later, chapter 8, verse 39, Holy Spirit took Philip, took him from this place to another place. I think about this, I just love Philip. I'm like, can you imagine? Holy Spirit says, go here. You go here. Whoa, there's a guy. And then the Holy Spirit says, go tell him about Jesus. You go tell him about Jesus. You explain stuff to him. Baptize him. Comes out the water. Whoa, Holy Spirit took Philip. Now Philip's somewhere else. It's an incredible thing. In, uh, in Acts chapter 19, verse 2, this is incredible. The whole book of Acts is just, it's about Holy Spirit. Because Paul's walking into Ephesus, and he finds this group of believers. And uh, the first question he asks is, have you received the Holy Spirit? How important is it to Paul, the understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, that it's like, it's, it's the first thing he thinks of when he moves, oh, you're a group of believers. Have you received the Holy Spirit? And they actually go, no, we, we didn't even know there was such a thing as a Holy Spirit. Who's that? And then he prays for them. They get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And you see in chapter 19, Ephesus explodes. It's wild. In fact, in two years, the whole western coast of Turkey has heard the gospel from a question, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 13, verse 52, the disciples were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 7, 51, is when Stephen is he's preaching to the, the Pharisees now that they've arrested him, they want to, to kill him and whatever. And he actually says to them, you are resisting the Holy Spirit. That's the words that he uses. He says to the Pharisees, you are resisting the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5, 32, it says that the Holy Spirit is bestowed on those who obey Him. I, I read these scriptures and it, it challenges me because I go, no, but the Holy Spirit is for everybody. Yes, that's so true. But what we've settled for is a gospel that's all about entitlement. It's all about what I should get because that's been given to me. And it's a, that's not even, that's true. That's not even a bad uh, theology there. God, through Jesus Christ, you've been given the right to receive the Holy Spirit. But just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean you've actually received it. And so he says, the Holy Spirit is bestowed on those who obey him. In Acts chapter 10, 44, Peter's talking, this is the first time he's preaching to the Gentiles. It says, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on the listeners. I don't know about you, but I'm not really seeing the Acts of the Apostles here. I'm seeing a whole lot of Holy Spirit and a whole lot of apostles running around going, Holy Spirit said this, Holy Spirit did that. What are we doing? And, and what's happening is the world's being turned upside down because the Holy Spirit is moving and He's Lord and he's, they understand they've cultivated relationship with Him. They're not perfect, 
They still make many mistakes. Look at Peter and Paul. Paul has to get up and publicly actually address Peter because now you're going back into what? The old defaults that you once learned, learned, your insecurities that you've justified because of your pride. But there's a new thing that the Lord's doing. You can't do that. What we do as the church, though, is we, we're too afraid to actually confront and to value the presence of the Lord far above everything else. So what we'll do is rather just we'll just cover and move on. And no, it's fine. And they're just going through their thing and it's all good. And when the reality is, no, I value what Holy Spirit is doing more than anything else. That, hey, I don't care if you're my closest brother. The moment that you stand on Holy Spirit's toes, <laughs> I have to actually say something. And it's in love, and, and we, we're building together. But the reality is I value this. I value what the Lord's doing, even over uh, being received and accepted and liked by people. And then in, uh, in Acts chapter 13, and I want to I get to the Antioch thing as well, hopefully, please, Lord. Acts chapter 13, verse 4, it talks about them being sent out. This is um, Paul and Barnabas. Being sent out by who? By the Holy Spirit. And so they went. What, what's amazing is that just before that, it says that they'd set themselves apart for prayer and fasting, serving the Lord. And the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. I, I'm really hoping that what I can communicate today is we have come to a place as, as the church globally. I don't want to speak for every church because God does amazing things. But, but in a general sense, We've come to the place where we could sometimes carry on with our lives and with church and with things that we do without even recognizing that the Holy Spirit hasn't even said anything yet. That He hasn't even moved. He hasn't even done anything. And yet we're doing a whole bunch. And we're, and we're calling it kingdom and we're calling it God. And there's things that we're saying and the way that we're acting and represent. We call it representing God. But is it because Holy Spirit said so? Or is it because you're insecure and you're masking it with a whole bunch of things you, you think are spiritual gifts? See, what happens when you're so yielded to his voice, you're 100% okay with being used for the most amazing, powerful thing, but you're also totally okay to just take the low place and just serve. You're okay to stand in front of thousands and share the gospel, and you're also okay to stack chairs and sweep floors. You're okay to sit in a dirty, filthy street in India and just love an orphan, and nobody even knows that you did it, and you're also okay to see the dead raised. The point is, did Holy Spirit say... I love Acts chapter 13, verse 9. This is now after Paul and, and Barnabas have been sent off. And uh, they, they're moving and they see there's this, this man called Elymas who's just full of demons and he's a naughty boy. <laughs> and he's, he is, uh, he's just operating in the demonic and he's, he's challenging what they're doing, the gospel. I'm just making it real simple for us. And it says, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit and led by him, looked steadily at Elymas. And then he speaks to him, and we know what happens. He casts the thing out and addresses the demon. But these kind of statements are gripping me out of, the, out of the Bible. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit and led by him, looked steadily at Elymas. Ephesians 5, 8 talks about don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. 2 Peter 1, 22, it says, speaks of men full of and moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And I've mentioned that before, but we've got to be so careful that we don't get swept up by a prophetic hype and a prophetic movement that's not the movement of the Holy Spirit. Because actually the point is to be full of and moved by the Holy Spirit and then to speak. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we know, do not quench the Holy Spirit. I want to read to you something, um, and, and hopefully the Lord will help me bring this all together with Antioch somehow. Um, but I want to read something to you about people that I study and spend a large part of my time reading about. I want to talk to you about a man named William Seymour. William Seymour was right at the beginning of the Azusa Street Revival uh, in Los Angeles. How many of you have heard of the Azusa Street Revival? Anybody heard? Awesome. Just so you know, it was insane. It's basically the birthplace of Pente the Pentecostal church. Um, and... Uh, the things that happened in, in Los Angeles are just insane. I mean, the glory of God was on the building so much so that the fire department came out thinking there was a fire because with their eyes, what they looked at, it was fire on the building. But it was His glory. Same thing happened in the Indonesian revival. Mel Tari writes about it. 
firefighters rushing out to churches thinking the church is on fire, but there's a whole bunch of people in there singing and worshiping. Everything's okay. They're panicking. (laughs) But listen to this. See, here's the thing. Everybody wants the revival. Nobody wants the life of one man or one woman who paved the way for it to happen. It really messes me up that one man could be so loved and enjoyed by God that God would choose to invade a city because of his life. Before William Seymour was a man named Frank Bartleman who prayed for months and months fasting and praying that revival would hit Los Angeles. And he had the privilege of being a part of that. William Seymour was living at a time when there was intense racism and he was being trained under Charles Parham. But in the classes, because he was an African-American man, he could not sit with the rest of them in the class and listen. So he would sit at the foot of the door outside and listen to Charles Parham teaching. He was so hungry for the Holy Spirit that it meant more to, them, more to him than his rights. It meant more to him than being accepted by people. It meant more to him than being acknowledged by a group of people. He sat at the foot of a door to hear Charles Parham teach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then this same man goes to Los Angeles to minister, and he's so hungry, he's praying and fasting, he's asking the Lord for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he gets there, and he starts to minister in a home with the people that he was staying at. And the people he's ministering to are getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he hasn't even been baptized yet. Can you imagine what that feels like? I am fasting and praying and seeking God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I touch somebody, and they start speaking in tongues. Power of God hits them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. But then it happens. And then he gets filled, and it changes everything. Listen to this. The Spirit began to fall in Los Angeles as people were radically filled and walked out into the streets speaking in tongues. Crowds began to grow at these home gatherings where Seymour was living with a host family. Before long, they were preaching from the front porch as people filled the streets to listen. Eventually, they moved into an old horse stable at 312 Azusa Street. It was in this stable in 1906 that the Pentecostal movement was officially born. People would fall over and weep. They would speak in tongues. They would laugh, jerk, dance, and shout. They would wait on the Lord for hours, sometimes saying nothing. Seymour would often preach from his knees. No one could possibly record all the miracles that occurred there, writes charismatic historian Robert Slyden. John G. Lake, one of my absolute heroes, listen to what he had to say. If you know anything about John G. Lake, insane. Listen to what he said of William Seymour. John G. Lake said of William Seymour, He had more of God in his life than any man I'd ever met up to that time. When I was reading this, it just started to stir my heart because I remember when I was young, I once prayed a prayer that I was reminded of this week. I said to the Lord, Lord, I want to love you more than anyone in my generation. And that that sounds like a child's prayer. (laughs) But I prayed that, and I was reminded of it this week, and I remember that day that I prayed. I said, Lord, I want to love you more than anybody else in my generation on the face of the earth. I want to be the one that you know loves you more than anyone. And you know what stirs me is like the religious spirit will go like, come on, dude, be, be realistic, you know, you're only human or whatever. But God looks at that, and, he, and he's, I felt the Lord like he's so thankful for prayers like that, it moves his heart in such a way that he's like, that you, your desire, even in your weakness and your feeble little life, that your desire is to love me more than anybody else, that you almost see this as a competition. <laughs> I think God's heart is so moved by that. Prayer lasted all day and all night. Firemen were even dispatched to Azusa Street because people saw a fire, which was actually just the visible glory of God resting on the exterior of the building. Missionaries began coming to Azusa Street from around all the world to catch the fire. People would fall over, get saved, and begin speaking in tongues blocks away from the building, even though no one prayed for them. And they had no idea what was going on in the Azusa Mission. Pastors would also hit the streets, knocking on doors with little bottles of oil, asking to pray for the sick. All were getting healed. Seymour sought first and foremost to cultivate the presence of God in his meetings. If someone stood up, to pray or to preach, if the anointing was not on them, the person would sometimes get a gentle tap on the shoulder to hush up. Truly the Spirit of God was the leader of those meetings. Listen to this. Anyone know D.L. Moody? Let me tell you his story. It was some months later while walking the streets of New York 
that Dwight finally experienced the breakthrough for which he and Sarah Cook had been praying together. It was shortly before his second and most important trip to England that R.A. Turry had this to say about this significant advance in Moody's life. Not long after one day on his way to England, he was walking up Wall Street in New York. Moody very seldom told this, and I almost hesitate to tell it. And in the midst of this bustle and hurry of the city, his prayer was answered. The power of God fell upon him as he walked up the street, that he had to hurry off to a house of a friend and ask that he might have a room by himself. And in that room, he stayed alone for hours, and the Holy Ghost came upon him, filling his soul with such joy that at last he had to ask God to withhold his hand, lest he die on the spot. He went out from that place with the power of the Holy Ghost upon him. And when he got to London, the power of God wrought through him mightily in North London. And hundreds were added to the churches. And that was what led to his being invited over to the wonderful campaign that followed, the revival that happened in those later years. Dwight describes this experience in this way. He says, I was crying all the time that God would fill me with his spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience which he never spoke of for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths and yet hundreds were converted and healed. I would not, I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. It would be as small as dust. When I read this, I get stirred because sometimes I wonder if we forget the great treasure that we possess or whether we possess it. Because I'm not just talking about the Holy Spirit being one with your spirit. That happens in salvation. But I'm talking about preparing a dwelling place for Him where He can rest on you, where you position your life to be continually filled. Okay, can I say one more? Is that okay? I love these stories. John G. Lake. John G. Lake spent seven months fasting and praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is how it happened. One afternoon, a brother, a brother minister called and invited me to accompany him to visit a lady who was sick. Arriving at the home, we found the lady in a wheelchair. All her joints were set with inflammatory rheumatism, and she had been in the condition for 10 years. While my friend was conversing with her, preparing her to be prayed with, that she might be healed, I sat in a deep chair on the opposite side of a large room. My soul was crying out to God in a yearning too deep for words, when suddenly it seemed to me that I had passed under a shower of warm tropical rain, which was not falling upon me, but through me. My spirit and soul and body under this influence was soothed into such a deep, still calm as I had never known. My brain, which had always been so active, became perfectly still. An awe of the presence of God settled over me. I knew it was God. Some moments passed. I, don't, I do not know how many. And the Spirit said, I have heard your prayers. I have seen your tears. You are now baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then currents of power began to rush through my being from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. The shocks of power increased in rapidity and voltage. As these currents of power would pass through me, they seemed to come upon my head, rush through my body and through my feet into the floor. The power was so great that my body began to vibrate intensely so that I believe if I had not been sitting in such a deep low chair, I might have fallen upon the floor. At that moment, I observed my friend was motioning me to come and join him in prayer for the woman who was sick. In his absorption, he had not noticed that anything had taken place in me. I arose to go to him, but I found my body trembling so violently that I had difficulty in walking across the room, and especially in controlling the trembling of my hands and arms. I knew that it would not be wise to thus lay my hands upon the sick woman, as I was likely to jar her. It occurred to me that all that was necessary was to touch the tips of my fingers on the top of the patient's head, and then the vibrations would not jar her. This I did. At once the currents of holy power passed through my being, and I knew that it likewise passed through the one that was sick. She did not speak, but apparently was amazed at the effect in her body. My friend who had been talking to her in his great earnestness had been kneeling as he talked. He arose saying, let us pray that the Lord will now heal you. As he did so, he took her by the hand. At the instant their hands touched, 
a flash of dynamic power went through my person, through the sick woman. And as my friend held her hand, the shock of power went through her hand and into him. The rush of power into his person was so great that it caused him to fall on the floor. He looked up at me with joy and surprise and sprung to his feet and said, Praise the Lord, Brother John, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then he took the crippled hand that had been set for so many years. The clenched hands opened and the joints began to work. First the fingers, then the hand, and the wrist, then the elbow, then the shoulder. These were the outward manifestations, but oh, who could describe the thrills of joy, inexpressible that were passing through my spirit. Who could comprehend the peace and the presence of God that thrilled my soul? Even at this late date, 10 years afterward, the awe of that hour rests upon my soul. My experience has truly been, as Jesus said, he shall be within you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That never ceasing fountain has flowed through my spirit, soul, and body day and night, bringing salvation and healing and the baptism of the spirit in the power of God to multitudes. That's from John G. Lake's diary. Charles Finney had a similar experience where he walked into a factory and saw two women that seemed agitated and uh, he just felt the Holy Spirit lead him to walk towards them. And he just moved towards them. He was still a couple meters away. And the presence of God hits these ladies. And uh, the next thing, the awe and reverence of his presence fills the factory so much so that the owner of the factory, who was an unbeliever at the time, comes down and recognizes a holy moment, shuts down the factory and allows Charles Finney to begin to minister. And revival breaks out in the factory for the next couple of days. And many, many, many of the the Workers were getting saved and coming to know Jesus. Why am I saying all of this? I think I'm, I'm realizing more and more that we have no need for impressive sermons anymore. But what we need is the revelation of Jesus through the manifestation of His Holy Spirit. In our lives, we need a people that are filled with His Spirit because we're about to go everywhere. We're about to fill the earth. We're about to flood the earth because God's birthing a missionary movement of people that carry the Great Commission in their hearts. And the reason they carry it is not because they decided to care, but because they've yielded to the Holy Spirit and He has come alive inside of them. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't just fill you and, and stay there for you. He does that in the beginning, but He comes upon you for others. Holy Spirit's inside of you, and He's welling up to overflow, and He wants to reach the world around you. He aches for the lost. He longs to reveal Himself to unreached people, groups, and nations, and businesses, and spheres of society. People you walk past every day. And I know in and of myself, I don't have the capacity to love like that unless it's Him. I don't have the capacity to stop for the one unless it's Him stopping me. I don't have the capacity to care unless it's the love of God that's possessed me. And one of the things that we, we you know, we've preached on a lot, but I, I wonder if we, if we fully caught it yet, is that Jesus actually said, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And I think we've spent a lot of time trying to understand how to deny ourselves. A lot of time focused on how do we deny ourselves and how do we pick up the cross? How many times do I need to beat myself? Or how many times do I need to condemn myself to feel like I'm finally denied? No, what it means is put off self. Turn away from your selfish ambition, from your own agendas, from all of that, and just yield to the Holy Spirit because transformation isn't going to happen because you tried. It's going to happen because you yielded. And so what does it mean to yield? It means to give Him time. It means to listen. It means to give Him an opportunity to speak to you and to lead you in everything that you do and not to get so caught up in trying to fulfill a need that only He can fill. For example, the need for significance or recognition or to feel like you are something. You are a son or a daughter of God. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will see things you never knew were possible. But they're not going to be because you recognized a ministry in your life or something that you're gifted at and you tried real hard to make it happen. When we begin to move in that, that's when false humility starts to happen because false humility is actually, it's just hidden agenda looking for a good way to present itself. And that's when you begin to see the insecurities happen. And insecurity becomes a breeding ground for manipulation, control, and witchcraft. And so you see Christians operating in a fallen demonic nature that's not even their own. 
And if we just yielded to the Holy Spirit, he'd fill us with his life, with his voice, with his purity. And suddenly we'd begin to move in, a, in an authenticity, in the prophetic, in healing, in, in loving one another, fellowship, preaching the gospel, worshiping. That's coming from the purity of Jesus, not from our own journeys. And then you see a church that's maturing into what? Not just maturing. Remember this. It's not just about the church maturing. It's maturing into the stature, the fullness of Jesus. How do we do that? We do that through the Holy Spirit. He is the greatest treasure. I don't mean to, to share this in a heavy way. Not at all. My heart is so moved because I, I so desire to carry and to house and host the presence of the Lord, which is the Holy Spirit in my everyday life so that He can change the world because that's what He wants. And I'm, I'm not going to be able to, to preach what I wanted to about Antioch, but I, the whole thing. But I'll just say this. I've been so encouraged by what happened in Antioch because I've shared before many times about how it all started. You know, just a group of random people preaching the gospel. No one knows their names. They share the gospel. Revival breaks out. It gets to the apostles. They send Barnabas. He sees that the grace of God is on them. He fetches Paul. And in a year, they teach and train them so much so that they get called Christians. They're named after Jesus because these people look like him. And they've become a people of his presence because we see in, in Acts chapter 13, they set themselves apart for prayer and fasting and serving, ministering unto the Lord. They didn't set themselves apart for missions. They set themselves apart for his presence. And in his presence, they created an environment where the Holy Spirit could speak and be honored where he's Lord. That's why the Holy Spirit could come in and says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. It doesn't say there was a bit of a vibe and they kind of thought, oh, it would be cool to take this somewhere else. And a bit of excitement about what, you know, some tourist attractions around them that, hey, it would be nice to take the gospel there. And so they kind of, the hype was building up. And the next thing, yeah, you know what, it would be cool if we sent so-and-so. It wasn't like that. It was, I'm going after the presence of the Lord. We want to create an environment where he can be Lord. We can be Lord of our lives. They weren't even thinking about gifting and pulpit and title and what, what has God specifically told me to do or whatever. Those are amazing, powerful things that come from His presence, not before. And in that place, we, we set ourselves apart. We minister unto the Lord. We become a people of His presence where we're, we're allowing Jesus to be made known to us, in us, and through us. Christ-likeness. Not our attempt at Christ-likeness. His Christ being made known in our lives. And you start to see that happen. And then Holy Spirit goes, this is a breeding ground. It's a womb, a supernatural spiritual womb that I can birth the dream of God. Because now you've learned how to listen. You've learned how to yield. You've learned how to partner with me. Because you're not wrapped up in your own understanding of what you think your gifts and strengths and ministries are. You've just yielded to my voice so I can do anything. You're a blank canvas for me to paint the picture of heaven. And so when this happens, the Holy Spirit speaks, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. And then, and then it says, sent by the Holy Spirit, they went. So not only did he call them, but he also sent them. Because it's amazing if you just read, it's two verses, two or three verses, and there's so much in there. That actually, they set themselves apart to minister to the Lord. The Holy Spirit speaks and says, set them apart. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, I want to send them. And guess what they do? They finish prayer and fasting. It, it's like it's one little, just a couple words there, and it just grabs my heart. It's like they don't go, oh, he sent me. Off we go. Thanks, everybody. Now's my moment. Now's my time. Remembering what Paul has journeyed just to get to this point. But no, they, they carry on. Presence. Holy Spirit set me apart to reach the Gentiles. What's the first thing I'm going to do? Yield. So they yield. And then what happens? They're sent by the Holy Spirit. So they, everything is, he speaks, and I wait for him to move. He moves, and I move. And then when they begin to minister, Holy Spirit's just doing the most incredible things. So I, I feel in my heart, I, I'm trying to encourage us and I'm trying to challenge us in a, in a beautiful way, in a, in a loving way. Way. My heart is so filled with, with love for our community and our church. And I, I want to challenge you not to settle. Because we're in a time now where the Lord's going to do this. And my dad mentioned about that, that closing of an era and the opening of a new one. And it's almost like we, what, what God's doing right now is so big that he's going to do it anyway. So are you in or are you out? That's what it feels like. Are you going to sit on the sidelines and watch God write history, or are you going to be the pen that he writes it with? 
This is the moment that we're in, right? And, and that can be, I'm not just talking about nations. It is that, but I, it can be what God's actually put in your heart and in your life. Are you going to yield, right? But in this time where he's doing that, it's so easy for us to get caught up in so many things that are not him, not his presence, not his voice, but we're justifying it. I, I don't know how else to say this, and I'm asking the Lord to help me. Let's not justify things that seem right to man but lead to destruction. Let's not think that we're doing something holy that's actually division and, and, and uh, insecurity operating in the church. Let's yield to his voice. Let's be real clear that what we do with one another as we represent Jesus, as we follow him, that what we're doing is because we are cultivating relationship with the Holy Spirit, not because I'm actually in a difficult place trying to justify why I'm feeling so lousy and so I'm going to act super spiritual and pretend like I'm something that isn't a reality in my heart. Rather, let me bow. Let me come low. Let me be humble and let me allow him to fill me because if I come in humility, then I, he'll lead me into honor. And when I'm in honor, I'm in the breeding ground of the supernatural. I'm in the breeding ground of actually God opening up things that I didn't even know were in my life or in my heart. See, what, what happens is we, we get intimidated because we know the bigness of what's happening. And so we, we, we use our language and we use... Um, our defaults and things that we've learned from the past to, to cover and to hide our need to be filled. When what we should do is just recognize that need and get on our faces and say, Lord, fill me, fill me. And what, what he's doing now is a new thing. It's new. So let's not, let's not pretend like we actually know. We don't. It's new. But the only certainty is his presence. The only certainty is his spirit. And so we're going, we're going to go now to nations and to different places and the apostolic community. You remember, it took a while for the Moravians to form apostolic community. And when the community was formed, suddenly commissioning began to happen. And we've been, we've been pioneering an apostolic community here where we've been choosing to value things that, that don't equate to church growth, but they do bring the presence and glory of the Lord. And we've been choosing to value that and go after that and learning. And we, we're not perfect. We don't get it right, but we're... With everything that we are, we're saying, this is what we value. This is what we're going after. And we're cultivating that womb so that he can begin to send and begin to release everywhere that we go, whether it's five kilometers down the road or 5,000 kilometers away, it's, we, we're yielding to him. And that, that has taken time. But we're coming to the point where he's going to move in us and through us that's far beyond what we could do in the natural. And if, if we have any form of self or... or um, hidden agendas, it's not going to stand and it's going to be super uncomfortable. We need to yield and let him do the work that he's doing at this time and be encouraged by his voice and be encouraged by the adjustments that he's making in our lives. That actually, if he's working on you, it's a good thing. Let him do it. Be encouraged by that. Be stirred because he's equipping you and preparing you for something that's far beyond what you can see right now. And, and then go and read the book of Acts and get excited about how these ordinary, everyday people are doing the most extraordinary things simply because Holy Spirit said and Holy Spirit sent. Because I think you, you sometimes can find yourself in a place where you disqualify yourself because you're looking at yourself. No, but I can't do that because look at my situation in my life and what kind of person that I am. What does that have anything to do with the Holy Spirit and what He wants to do and how He's going to do it? He wants to put you on the potter's wheel, form you, shape you, mold you, and get you ready as a vessel for his glory. And then he wants to send you out. And he's going to pour through your life so many, many different things that are going to bless people, touch people, encourage people, and transform the world around you. And it's for his glory, and it's, it has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with our need to feel significant. We are significant when we have the greatest treasure that we could ever possess inside of us. And so I hope in some way what I... What I've tried to do and, and wrestled with is, is uh, not to, to impress you, but to encourage you and to say, man, if we could go after the Holy Spirit with everything that we are, to be continually filled. Because in Acts 2, they get filled and the fire of God is there. And in Acts chapter 4, they need to be filled again. 
Why? Because there's things going on and there's resistance and things that happen to the church. And so suddenly there's threats and things going on. They pray, Lord, give us boldness to continue to preach the gospel. And what does he do? He shakes the room with his glory. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with boldness to go and preach the gospel. And so we need to be continually filled. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So will you stand with me? I feel in the spirit, it's actually like a settling that's happening um, right now. I feel like this last week, the Lord like exploded and birthed something, and it's brought a whole bunch of stuff to the surface. Maybe stuff you don't even like. I know, I don't like it. Stuff that happens, things that go on, just the demonic and all these crazy things, and it all wants to come to the surface. And I felt like today, it's like the Holy Spirit just wants to step in and just go, I'm Lord. And boom, things just settle. And he says, listen to my voice, follow me. And if we'll do that as a community, there's life and there's abundance and there's so much that he's gonna do. So he is the highest authority and we honor you, Spirit of Jesus, as the highest authority in this house and in our lives. And I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you, Lord, that today you're settling the shaking and, and the, the, the things that are remaining are what's of you, Lord. And those things that are not, Lord, I speak to the insecurities and the, the things we've had to process in this last little while. Lord, I just thank you that you replace insecurity with fire, with the fire of your presence, Lord, with the fire of your glory. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us? And Lord, would you take this beyond um, a moment and a service and a gathering? And would you stir us to seek you, stir us to be filled, stir us to hunger and thirst for your presence more than anything else? that we would be marked by you so that as we do what you've called us to do, it's drenched in your presence. It's filled with Holy Spirit. It's filled with Holy Spirit. That's the greatest longing of our heart, Lord. And Father, I thank you that you are, you are birthing an apostolic house. You are birthing an apostolic people. And I feel that in the Spirit, Lord, and I thank you that I think in my head, sometimes I I imagine things looking differently. But what you're doing right now in the spirit is you are solidifying foundations on which we are building in our hearts. And you're enthroning yourself as king in our hearts and lives. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you silence the voice of the accuser and you silence any other voice that would try to hinder or try to slow down or try to, uh, through even uh, sincere people, try to bring confusion or chaos. I silence that right now. And I thank you that the voice, the lion, the roar of the lion of Judah would not just echo, but would resound throughout our lives and throughout our hearts and minds. And I thank you that in, the, in an environment like this, where your anointing and your Holy Spirit is here, that every single lie falls away. Every single lie that we've believed falls away. Every single insecurity falls away. That you prepare a place to rest and to dwell in our hearts and lives right now. And so I speak to 24-7 church and I say, be free in Jesus' name. Be filled in Jesus' name. Receive the Holy Spirit. Stand firm. Rise up. Get up. Stand up. It's time. Now's the time to be filled. Now's the time to invade. Now's the time to be obedient to what the Lord is saying. No more looking back. No more looking to the left or to the right. We We yield, we yield in Jesus' name. I thank you that pride has no place to land, that humility is the way, because humility is in Jesus. Jesus is the most meek and humble man to ever walk the face of the earth, and he is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life, and so we yield. Lord, mark us today, mark us today. In Jesus' name, thank you for a a culture of honor and humility where your river can flow in this house. Father, I speak to this the, the soil of this house in the spirit, and I thank you for the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the teachers and the pastors that you're bringing through, Lord, and equipping. I thank you for the missionaries. I thank you for the the businessmen and women. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for just every single gift uh, that's operating in the spirit that would come from you, Holy Spirit, not just to bless this community, but to bless the city. 
city, to bless this nation, and to bless the nations of the world. Father, I thank you that this is a kingdom house, that this is a house of encounter, a house of intimacy, and a house of your spirit. And so we do receive and yield. And I just want to say, if you, I don't even know, I'm not going based on feeling, I'm going based on faith here. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit, lift your hands. Holy Spirit, I ask that you come and fill afresh people that are hungry and longing and yearning for you, Lord. I ask that you fill us, Lord Jesus. I ask that you put hunger and desire in us to pursue you, not for for the benefits, but actually because we are so longing for the person of Jesus to be known in us and through us, that we are so longing to be filled. Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. Fill us afresh. Fill us afresh. Let the fire of your presence consume our hearts and lives. I thank you for fire on our feet, fire on our hands, fire on our minds and eyes, fire in our bellies, fire, fire, fire in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord that you would just rid us of self, that we would deny ourselves, pick up our cross. What does that mean? Lord, we see what happened at the cross. We recognize that we died with you and we were raised to new life. And it's because of that we can be filled and we can follow. And so today we just say, Jesus, we wanna follow you. We wanna follow you. In the worship, I saw a picture of Jesus' feet. I saw a picture of his feet. I saw the wounds, the, the scars. And the question that was in my heart was, Lord, where have these feet been? And I started to think of the places where he's put his feet. And the question in my heart was, Lord, can I go with, can I follow? Can I walk in the footsteps of my beloved? Where have you been? Where are you now? Where are you going? I want to follow. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Prepare our lives, prepare our hearts to be filled.